I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. Can behavioral science be used to nudge us into better behavior? A growing number of government leaders think so, and they are being assisted by Ideas 42. Today we're talking to Ted Robertson, Managing Director at Ideas 42, a firm that uses behavioral science to design scalable solutions for social impact. Ted, give me the elevator pitch explaining behavioral science. Behavioral science at its root is just looking at what people actually do, not what you think they should do, not what you want them to do, but it's the science behind why people do this or do that. It's, it's that simple, and then integrating that into design of products, processes, government, uh, and otherwise. Give me a couple of examples of behavioral science in service to social impact. The, the, one of the foundational examples for uh, behavioral science is savings rates. So if you give people a number of choices on 401ks in the private sector or in government and, and say, hey, we have this great plan, it's available to you, just choose to, to opt in, and you only get in, in the sort of the mid, low to mid 30% opt-in. If, if you ask people their intention to actually save, it would be in the, the 80s, maybe sometimes in the 90s, but in the, in the high 80s. And so there's this gap between people's intention, which is very clear, yes, of course I want to save more money, and their action. And so by switching the design and defaulting people into savings so that you say, hey, you're in this savings plans, we've checked it, it's a good one, and you're in it. If you want to be out of it, you still have the choice, but you have to choose to opt out of it, then the, the, the participation rates go up to about, uh, sort of the, to match the, the intention, about the mid-80s. And that's just sort of the classic example of, hey, look, people actually intend to do that. It's a good for everybody, for that individual, and for the, the broader social good. And yet, if you don't design it for them, things like hassles and other behavior bottlenecks get in the way. What's the principle behind the example you just gave? What's the principle at work that uh, makes me save more if I am opted in and I have to opt out versus the other way around? In the specific example I gave, the the main uh, part of that is the hassle factor. People think okay, great, you offer me this plan, but I have to opt in. So on some level, I have to process this, I have to think about it, and, and that's, a, that's a friction, it's a pain point. And people say, great, yeah, I do intend to save, and I'm really happy that they offered me this, and I'll come back to it. And we're all busy, and we, we just all have bandwidth issues, and, and the less uh, income you have, the more of a bandwidth issue you have. And so people just don't come back. So that's, that's the example I gave it. A, a variation on that is if you say, oh, here, here are savings plans, and we give you a number of savings plans, like, like uh, not just one that you have to opt in, but many, under the idea of like, oh, choice is better, everyone wants choices, and to some degree that's true. Everyone will say, yes, 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 I want more choices. But actually, the data shows, and we sort of operate everything testing it very rigorously, the data shows the more choices you, you offer, the less participation you'll get. So you've just named two principles, right? Choice overload. And avoiding choice overload and avoiding hassle factors. What are the other principles that undergird your work, particularly the work you're doing with the public sector, with government? I don't know if I could itemize every behavioral lever. I mean, we're talking about a toolbox of 100 plus and certainly more. For, but you could think of things like uh, loss aversion, you know, that, that people 
uh, tend not to want to lose things more than they're afraid of, of gaining things. You can think of things around overconfidence. People tend to think uh, to overestimate their own abilities or, or say in, in, in the instance of lotteries, their ability to win. They overestimate a low probability situation. Well, you can leverage that overestimation into a design. So there are a set of those sorts of, of things. And so for us, it's knowing the range of them and being able to say, okay, how do we apply it in this context in a way that could make a, a change? You have helped start a number of units in government, both local government and the federal government in the U.S., um, to help government begin to use behavioral science um, as part of their toolkit, their innovation toolkit. They're really, in a lot of ways, their toolkit to deliver better services. Um, give me a couple of examples of how government is now, particularly local government, is using um, this science to serve its uh, citizens better. Well, I think the, the, the real answer to that is that it's being tested now. I mean, this is moving into cities at this point in time. So certainly people are, are looking at uh, energy or water use. They're trying to test it there to say, okay, can we apply the principles of behavioral science to say we can conserve energy or conserve water use? People are looking at can they increase tax revenue? Uh, in some instances, we're looking at can you increase public health measures? So uh, building off earlier research that says, okay, there's a, a vaccination that's available to you, um, and here are the times. There's a certain level of participation, but if you say, great, can you commit to a time and tell me what that time is, uh, that the day and the time, that that will get a bump in the particip participation. So you can imagine applying that to flu vaccinations, uh, HPV vaccinations, that sort of thing. So cities are starting to look at that sort of, uh, those sort of test models. I'm a mayor and I want to reduce gun violence, right? Not suicides, which... I understand from Josh, your, your uh, colleague, is the, is the uh, number one uh, example of gun violence. But let's talk about the gun violence that ends up on the front page of local newspapers every day. Can I use behavioral science to do that? Uh, I, I don't think the answer is known yet. I mean, back to our, our, uh, our fundamental premise that we want to come up with a, a, a well-designed intervention, and then we want to test and test and test. And we think... We're going to give you a, a better than average uh, uh, design, but until you test, we don't know. So I'm just going to say that up front, and I think that that sort of is a very important thing that people need to know that and accept that you're going to have some failure, and that's okay, in order to learn and keep going forward. So that's one point. Uh, but to get to sort of dive into it a little bit, uh, can it be solved? I don't know. But the things that would be interesting is we've started to experiment with things where uh, could you di uh, divert uh, people youth or, or adults, it, to avoid the situations that lead towards uh, gun violence. So we did a, a, a study in South Africa where we created a simple app, low cost, that basically just created a menu of different activities for youth to do that directed them away from hot spots and had a, a decrease in, in violence, right? So you could look at that sort of things. We're looking at an example of could uh, you send letters to gun owners that make it very clear to them that uh, the issue of, of if they're a gun owner and they, they buy a, a gun and either wittingly or not pass it to someone else and that ends up 
in a in a moment of gun violence is that uh, that 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 gun they have could have consequences by by sort of uh, intervening in that moment could that impact later violence so we're looking at things like that we're looking at things like if uh, in the moment someone is about to act could you catch them so that they have a different image uh, in their minds uh, that that's a more positive association of some sort that draws them away from that edge right so it's sort of a behavioral moment a lot of behavioral science is is both can you find the trigger and can you find it at the right moment in the right mechanism and that's uh, getting that sort of elegant solution is uh, interesting but can be tough too. If I want to learn more, where do I go? You can certainly come to Ideas 42 and we would love to talk to you uh, about ways that we're trying to do this in the public sector uh, in across either public education, uh, post-secondary education, government, health, uh, we would love to talk to you. Of course, uh, Knight and some other foundations are also starting to do a, a bunch of individual pieces of work. I would look at books like Scarcity, uh, which would be great. Nudge uh, will give sort of primers to the field and start to give you a toolkit. And you have a website where you have a number of uh, examples and papers posted. I'm reminding you of your own website, which is at which uh, I knew you were going to remind me of it, and, and uh, I'm, it's ideas42.org, I think, but I never say it out loud. It's always printed, so. <laughs> well, well, we'll try it there. Google it, and we'll find it. Um, Ted Robertson, I've been talking to Ted Robertson. He is Managing Director at Ideas42. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Sign up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash podcast to get the five things you should know from this interview and others. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.